0: Navigating the Datascape with Porter Chavez and special guests.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we are going to be uh, covering the biggest announcements for the Microsoft Ignite Fall 2022 conference. Very happy to be here and alongside with me, a common guest of our podcast and the man that is all about big data analytics, one of the biggest gurus out of Brazil, Mr. Luan Moreno Maciel. Luan, say hi, please.
0: Well, thanks for this introduction and thanks for having me again here. Pretty excited for this upcoming news.
1: Absolutely. Uh, lots of stuff to go over here. And as usual, when we do these episodes where we cover a specific show, we want to make sure that everybody understands we're not going to cover absolutely everything that was announced in the show. Otherwise, we'll be here the whole day. We are just going to cover the most uh, exciting announcements for us. And keep in mind, Luan and I, we are usually working in the data or infrastructure space. So there's a lot here that we will not be covering. If you want to check out the whole list of announcements, go to your favorite search engine and just type in uh, Microsoft Ignite 2022 book of news, and you will get a, an article from Microsoft that has absolutely everything in one place. All right. So let's kick it off here. First category of announcements that we're going to cover today is data. Microsoft made an announcement of a an official intelligent data platform partner ecosystem. Walk us through that, Luan. What does that mean? What did they actually announce there?
0: Yeah, I think last time we spoke, uh, I think Microsoft had brought up this Microsoft intelligent data platform. But it didn't open too much uh, for details, but now we see seeing more and more uh, information about this. So, this first wave of partners, they're just pretty much integrating with three major categories that we're going to break it down. So, first, the databases. So, they're looking for the leading NoSQL and new SQL databases, which is MongoDB for NoSQL document oriented mm-hmm. database. And something that it really excites me about the ugabyte Db so youugabybyte yeah Very yeah for interesting. those that yeah for those that doesn't know yugabyte Db it's pretty much this line of new SQL database which pretty much uses Postgres and Cassandra apis but behind the scenes it's a non-relational database right but applies capabilities of asset transactions and, and can spread your data through uh, shardings and stuff like that. So it can be deployed either on cloud or Kubernetes. So it's just pretty interesting to see Microsoft adopting this, this partnership. Um, on the analytics side of things, we have the integration with Informatica, Confluent, DBT, FiveTrend, and click so yeah, all those are
1: heavy, all, all those heavy weights in the analytics, ETL, and uh, messaging space, right? Very interesting end. what they're going to do with this.
0: And surprisingly we see dbt here i mean for the first wave i'm just pretty excited to see more and more companies are using dbt yeah um, it would
1: be really nice if they microsoft would uh, build some sort of a uh, dbt integration into Synapse, yes. right how databricks has done that with the databricks workflows as well
0: yes i was about to say that and remember that we covered the databricks stuff now the capability to bring your dbt um and run at scale on databricks so it's interesting to see that the analytics spectrum is also also adding the DBT. And last but not least, the governance ecosystem. I think Microsoft investing a lot of effort and, and, and just putting mm-hmm. a lot of uh energy on that. So new 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 companies such as Profisi, including Delphi's, and OneTrust pretty much to do, do the master data management.
1: Mm-hmm. So this
0: cloud disclosing uh stuff, it's pretty interesting. So it's announced recently it's a managed um, master data management service so it's pretty interesting so you can definitely check it out uh, yeah most of want. these
1: most of these uh vendors they do mdm they also usually uh, alongside the mdm they have data quality tools as well right this is a, an area where microsoft hasn't really invested as a first party and leans more towards partners right like if you remember back in when was it 2008 remember sql server had the first release or 2012 maybe so that's 10 years ago they did that release of sql server master data services and sql server data quality services and they didn't really go for it right Like they did a first release. They never really uh, went all in on this uh, governance piece for SQL Server. And over the years, even in Azure, right now, I mean, we're looking at Purview. And Purview is shaping up as a really nice data catalog, more of a data catalog, data dictionary lineage tool right now. Really, it's not... Right now, it's not really a tool for runtime data quality check-in or for master data management, right? So this is an area where Microsoft still leans heavily into the partner ecosystem, right? All right, so that's a good one. Let's move over to the next one. This one is one that I really like. I mean, I don't hide this. I'm a big fan of the Cosmos DB product. I'm a big fan of that particular uh, product team because I think they are really good at listening to feedback and moving pretty fast. And this one is really good because for a long time, people were saying Cosmos DB is great, but what if I really just want a relational API on top of Cosmos DB, right? So now we get this announcement. Cosmos DB is going to add distributed PostgreSQL support as one of you know the many apis that cosmos db has if you're not familiar with cosmos db cosmos db is a distributed um cloud first database and it allows for really cool things like uh full uh, multi-writer geo-replication across the world with automatic um uh, conflict resolution it's really amazing what you can do with this product and now we're going to have postgresql on top you want to walk us through that one
0: Yes, I'm cloud nine here because um, even, uh, hence, I mean, Cosmos DB is a polyglot database layer, I would say. So now it adds support to the Postgres. And it's interesting because if you're looking one, you're seeing more and more relational databases and non-relational databases from the open source spectrum getting on board on Azure, uh, and that's pretty exciting. We have Postgres, we have MySQL, and we have others mm-hmm. uh, managed services as well. So in 2019, Microsoft brought, bought the C2s, uh, which used to be an extension to Postgres to extend the capability to process data in a hyperscale way. So what they did is just pretty much essentially build uh, an Azure uh, Postgres SQL database. And that could allow you to spread out your nodes and charting your database. And now we see uh, this new thing of Cosmos DB. Now, pretty much what happens behind the scene is that they are enabling this capability for hyperscale C2s engine. Mm-hmm. And something interesting to cover here is that um, there's something interesting about Postgres uh, in C2s is that you can either have transactional workloads and you can also have olap workloads you can mm-hmm. have this con- you have this concept of roll up tables and these roll up tables pretty much builds the data in a in a compression manner and in a columnar manner that gives you a pretty much wicked fast access to your data but not only that so it's like something... an htap use exactly. case here yeah, and we see more of this HTAP thing happening across the wire, right? AWS and and Google, and Azure is just pretty much focused on bringing HTAP. I think eventually databases are are going to become one, and you got and you're going to have like lots of layers that pretty much stores data in this HTAP layer. Uh, but anyways, uh, and there's something pretty interesting about this integration too. Not only allowing Cosmos DB to be distributed by Postgres API, but also it's offering tight integration with Microsoft Azure services. So for example, it's pretty easy and with few lines of code you can connect to the blob storage and copy the data from the blob storage into postgres pretty much okay. easily through the cosmos db that's cool and yeah and you know i was checking that out it's already available if you head over oh, is to it? the azure cosmos db okay. yes it's on preview selle- right mm-hmm. yeah you can select azure cosmos db for postgres and you can start with 225 usd dollars so pretty decent if you want to spread out your data
1: okay so it starts at 225 a month i assume Right, this yep. monthly? Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. No, that's really exciting. And um, yeah, really excited to see the direction that the product takes. I am also, I don't, uh, we have to play around with it. Keep in mind, anybody that's listening, this stuff, literally Luan and I are recording about five days after the conference finished, so we haven't really had time to go hands on and play with all this technology. So we can't really go into details on the behavior, but I'm really interested to try out and see how it behaves from the PostgreSQL application perspective with uh, geo replication and stuff like that. Right? If you fail over from like one region and the other and stuff like that, see how how does that integrate really well with the PostgreSQL layer. Um, and see what the behavior actually is of the of the Cosmos DB layer underneath. So I think that's going to be really cool. All right, what else do we got for Cosmos DB? Uh,
0: yes, we do new security features for MongoDB. So MongoDB is another API that is exposed to the Cosmos DB layer. Mm-hmm. And now you have pretty much two new addings. The first one is you can now have the RBAC, role-based access control, uh, at the collection level. So now, you can establish connectivity and security based on the collection level, which is okay. pretty interesting. More, more, um, more
1: fine-grained security. Yes, yeah, So you don't have to just give access to the entire database, right? Exactly. Okay.
0: And now they are expanding the two megs uh, per collection size. Uh, up to 60 meg size. For document, you mean? Yeah, for document size. Yes, thank you. And for document size. And the ultimate goal of this is to unlock more migration use cases where you have to migrate huge uh, documents through on-prem or other uh, MongoDB services to the Azure Cosmos DB for Mongo. Um, And um, these new features can be enabled on existing accounts, which is pretty interesting. You don't have to actually create a new instance or account, you can literally go to your existing collection and enable, uh, and get started with it.
1: Nice. Okay. That's really cool. And something very interesting nowadays is like, if we keep track of all this cosmos DB, um, compatibility layers. So we got now MongoDB. We had Cassandra already as well. Right. Um, now we got PostgreSQL on top too. Really, really interesting. Um, how they keep up with all these different APIs on top of Cosmos DB. All right, and next one, uh, somewhat related, but people, you know, now we have different ways of running PostgreSQL in Azure too, right? So this was the big announcement, Cosmos DB adding the PostgreSQL, distributed PostgreSQL uh, API on top. But if people are not familiar, Azure already has a managed, PostgreSQL offering. Azure Database for PostgreSQL is a database as a service offering that actually runs the real PostgreSQL behind the scenes, and they are still heavily investing on making this a competitive service where, you know, you want to invest in PostgreSQL, then Azure has to be a, a place where it makes sense to run it. So they keep investing in this managed PostgreSQL offering as well. So Let's run through this. They did a lot of announcements, new stuff they're doing with this service.
0: Yeah, that, diving a little bit on the details. There's a bunch of upcoming and new features that they roll up. Um, uh, so first is now the capability to bring your own key, um, okay. the custom managed manage key. no, so now you have the capability to bring that. So this is for encryption, right? Yes. For encryption. Also, they are bringing the Azure activity directory authentication in preview. You can okay. just create users and be automatically synced up.
1: Good, with a, good. A, This is really important for enterprise security, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to be taken uh, seriously.
0: Yes. Geo-redundant backup and fast restore. So pretty much uh, to sum it up, you have the capability to perform snapshots and restore from these snapshots. So going to be pretty much instantaneously in how you're going to be recovered from one region to another if they are geo-paired which is interesting. Um, and, and I think this is one of the most required, uh, I would say, requirements for customers is how they can fast provision uh, all the replicas of other databases if something happens on the primary region, so mm-hmm. pretty interesting stuff. Uh, they brought up this new thing called it single to flexible migration tool but before we just pretty much go over that it's interesting to understand the difference um, the difference between the difference between the, this new uh, method so usually we have the capability to create your postgres database right uh, actually we used to have only the option of single mode which is just pretty much similar to the on premise world you create your instance and you have all your postgres databases residing on that instance now they're bringing this new capability called Flexible, which is the next generation of a managed PostgreSQL service. Think this as a natural SQL database. It's going to be managed by per database level, uh, and it's going to allow you a lot of new capabilities like spreading computation from storage. You can expand more. You can have dynamic uh, provisioning and stuff like that. So okay. that's that, That's why they're offering this migration tool for existing. To move from the single server model exactly. to a
1: flexible server model. Yes, yes. Got it. Okay, that's cool. And
0: we haven't finished yet. So we have upcoming news also coming from that. Support for storage size up to 32 terabytes of uh, uh, of uh, two terabytes. Improvements on the performance and scale read intensive workloads. with 32 terabytes. <laughs> yes, insane. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah they're bringing out read replicas into that and the capability for you to make in-place major version upgrades. So it's going to be managed by Microsoft. I would
1: say if you're running a PostgreSQL database that is 32 terabytes in size, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. That sounds to me like you're probably using it uh, for the yeah, analytics you... as well. Maybe you have to rethink your architecture, but uh, I mean, that's great. That's a lot
0: yeah i agree and just do some tiered storage and offload that to the data lake eventually 32 terabytes on the database it's a lot of data
1: yeah for an OLTP it seems pretty big yeah all right okay and then the other one the other uh open source um platform that is an azure database azure database for mysql they also did a few announcements there as well just to show that again they keep developing and it is a first-party product it's uh has its own R&D and has a few sets of announcements as well in, in the show.
0: The Azure SQL Database for MySQL, yes. Uh, another open source database, as you mentioned, they're bringing the autoscale capability so you can scale up and down your IEO resources. Uh, they're bringing also the same uh, thing. scale I O, okay. That's yeah, nice. the autoscale okay. IEO, the flexible server. Um, also that mimics the, pretty much the same idea. of Similar to what we
1: were just saying with Postgres.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, management simplification with active directory, same as the, the previous, bring your own key customer manage keys, um, in region replica, and also they finally enabling MySQL extension for Azure data studio. So you're going to be able to connect to the existing MySQL uh, instances for Azure. Okay.
1: That's cool. Yeah, so they're adding a lot of uh, really neat Azure Data Studio extensions, Unre- unrelated to MySQL, but the other day I was playing around with the uh, the Azure SQL migration extension in Azure Data Studio. And uh, yeah, they've done quite a bit of work on it and uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, they, it seems that uh, they're able to roll out as these extensions in Azure Data Studio a lot faster than the model of uh, SSMS, right? Of SQL Server Management Studio. It's not as easy to roll out extensions for that right as opposed to rolling them out for azure data studio all right now oh, this one is a good one so microsoft announced a database migration assessment for oracle and that is also built in as an azure data studio extension what are your thoughts on this one more tooling to try to migrate out of oracle
0: yeah yeah that's what I'll. Uh... I was about to say there's a bunch of requests uh, from oracle to something usually the obvious path would be oracle to postgres so that's why i think this is going to be the first of many that are yet to come and to be honest um as the same because this is part by the azure data migration service which the manage on the azure uh, portal and yeah, I haven't had the, t- the time to test it yet. Um, as you just said, It just it's five days um, after the conference, but I'm assuming that's gonna be pretty much the seamless experience that we have on the Azure Data Migration Service. Should be pretty straightforward to set up, connect to your Oracle databases and set up the tables that you want. And then from there, they're gonna pretty much create the, the objects and just move the data from the Oracle mm-hmm. to PostgreSQL.
1: Yeah, I think this is really interesting because so far, Microsoft has invested usually a lot of tooling into migrating, including Oracle, to SQL Server, right? Or Mm -hmm. Azure SQL Database. But here we have Microsoft developing tooling to migrate from Oracle to Azure Database for PostgreSQL. So interesting strategy, right? But I guess it's a recognition that maybe PostgreSQL is easier to migrate into. But at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, the cloud is all about consumption, right? So as long as they're migrating into an Azure service, Microsoft is willing to invest in the tooling to make that happen. So I think this is an interesting um, shift in strategy, let's say. Usually we see most of the tooling, yeah, it's was for SQL Server. Now we see a, an actual migration official tool for PostgreSQL, right? That's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: happy to see that as well.
1: Yep. And... oh. Well, this is another big one that we, you and I, talk a lot uh, on different episodes and shows. It's Azure Synapse um, Analytics, right? There's usually some announcements related to Synapse Analytics because uh, Synapse is Microsoft's premier analytics service, right? It bundles um, SQL MPP distributed engine with uh, Spark, with data pipelines, with a uh, the Data Explorer engine, this is for uh, logs, uh, time series uh, data. It, it just it has a lot of stuff under the box there. So, what do we get for uh, Synapse Analytics in terms of yeah. announcements?
0: Just a comment about Azure Synapse Analytics. I don't know about you, but I I don't remember last time that I that I saw so many updates happening for one specific product at Microsoft. Uh, I don't remember the last product that I seen. So many every month we have we have seen updates for the Synapse Analytics. As you said, it's just flagship product for analytics on on Azure. And yeah, so now uh, for these Ignite announcement, we had pretty much three major ones that I see. First is the idea of the no code experience integration with Microsoft 365. By the way, uh, currently I'm working a customer that needs to integrate from the their Microsoft 365 environment to the Synapse Analytics workspace through the Dataverse, so you can easily use a uh, Synapse link to connect through the data and ingest the data automatically from the, the D365 up to the storage um, and Alongside with that, we have this new uh, ability to create the pipeline templates. So okay. Those are built-in templates uh, made by Microsoft, powered by Microsoft. they pretty much gives you an end-to-end experience, use the Synapse tem- uh, Pipelines or Azure Data Factory, where you can nice. easily connect your source, do some transformations, uh, apply some logics and ingest the data on output systems. So In this case, we have predefined templates already for Dataverse into Azure SQL Database, for example, and I'm just using this one right now, and it's just working pretty well. Um, and last but not least, for data scientists, uh, Microsoft are bringing the R language support. That's a big thing. So we used to have Python and C Sharp, but mm-hmm. was missing R language. So now we have support for R language into the Synapse Analytics alongside with the latest version of Synapse ML, which brings a lot of new um, models for uh, data science.
1: Nice. Yeah. They're adding a lot of capabilities. Like, uh, I like the idea of pipeline templates. If uh, anybody that yeah. has worked on doing any sort of ETL over there, you, you can tell that a lot of it is repeated work, right? It makes sense to give people more tools to templatize their work. And make people more efficient uh, in terms of the integration with you know all these different sources. There's this is another um, direction that we can see. Right, more things that will be enabled with Synapse Link to basically. Um, even eliminate the the need to create a data pipeline, right? With Azure, we already have it with Cosmos DB. It's getting enabled with Azure SQL Database. It's gonna be in in the box for SQL Server 2022. Now we're getting uh, Synapse Link with Dynamics. We're getting Synapse Link with Microsoft 365 data, right? So this is a a, a really uh, cool direction because it allows people to just focus on the data problem, right? And not on the on the plumbing, like we usually call it, right? Like you just moving data from point A to point B. So yeah, I really like this this announcement. Now the other, uh, the latest engine that was added to Synapse is the, called Azure Data Explorer. It's a really general name, by the way. I don't know why Microsoft called this product that, right? It's this Azure Data Explorer. It makes you it makes you think that it's like Like a browser or something right like some sort of like app where (laughs) you open it and then you just like look at the data or something so azure data explorer for people are not familiar with is a full-blown big data time series engine so it can ingest hundreds of thousands of uh events at a at a time and it is built for time series analysis And it is really fast in in this sense. So the idea, again, of course, is to just ingest payloads that come with measurements related to time and and some sort of other uh, categories or or value-add fields, right? Um, It is embedded inside Synapse Analytics as well, right? So in Synapse Analytics, we have the relational engine with the dedicated pools, we have the uh, big data engine with Spark, and we also have this time series streaming engine with Azure Data Explorer. So what do we get with Azure Data Explorer in terms of new capabilities?
0: Yes, initially it, it's it's glad to see it now, uh, the Azure Data Explorer gaining traction because it, it was like kind of becoming a little bit outdated. And now that the Synapse Analytics um, just bring this new capability of Azure Data Explorer, we see more and more updates coming up. And this is a big one, to be honest. So basically, they're extending the capability to connect with various sources. So now, for example, from the time series from the Azure Data Explorer, Explorer perspective, you can easily connect into the S3 bucket. And start to ingest and just the queries on top of the S3. and, it's, oh, and Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how they made that up. Um, they basically using um, step functions to do that. Whenever a new file lands into the S3, you get a notification on the Azure Data Explorer. So this way, you can automatically pull data and the most recent data from there without having to list entirely the S3 every time that you that you get there. So pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they bring bringing the capability to, as you mentioned about the Synapse Link, now they're bringing the Synapse Link for Cosmos DB. So you can leverage the Synapse Link that you already have and query straight the Cosmos DBH tab uh, layer and get data from there. Okay,
1: so analytics. the same Synapse Link that you can use on Spark or the serverless yes. pool, now you can use it for the Data Explorer. So yeah. another, uh, if, if that's in case you want to bring your Cosmos DB data into the data Explorer engine, as opposed to the other ones, right?
0: Yes. And I'm not going to be surprised to see the Azure SQL database and the other links available later on in the future. Yeah. That uh, would make here. sense. Yeah. Yes. Uh, open telemetry, which is a new big thing, uh, from the data observability side. Uh, so it pretty much gives you the ability to create metrics, logs, and tracing. So now the data explorer is going to be able to to read this type of data. Uh, You have another one that's the Azure Stream Analytics output. So Azure Stream Analytics is the SQL based environment in real time where you can do transformations using SQL and you can have an input and output. So now they're extending this capability by granting the Azure Data Explorer to access the output. So let's say for example, that I'm I'm ingesting data from uh, Azure Event Hubs, I'm applying some transformations on the fly on the analytics side, and I'm gonna output this data straight to the azure data explorer from some real-time metrics analytics Um, and the last is the telegraph agent Uh, i don't know for i don't know why what's the reason why they just bring this telegraph anyways could be like a customer request or something like that Mm -hmm. but telegraph is just kind of used to collect data from different sources it's written in Go and it's pretty straightforward and fast you can deploy in Kubernetes, you can you, you can just pretty much collect data from different sources, and then you're going to have the capability to connect into the agent and stream data from there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All
1: right, and then I saw an announcement as well related to SAP and Azure Data Factory. What was that one about?
0: yes it's just pretty much allowing um th- this and to be honest if you look a little bit for the azure data factory it, it was set in preview for a long period of time so now this sap connector change data connector it's it's in preview it's not in, in ga sorry and now you have the capability to connect this straight to the sap and bring data and also left the capability to using mapping data flows if you want so now okay. that, that thing becomes ga
1: Yeah, there's a lot of push um, for the SAP um, state, right? As you can see it, uh, obviously, Microsoft now is adding connectors for SAP to a data factory. Now we have the SAP CDC, the Change Data Capture Connector for data factory. Um, Google, as well, has developed uh, their own thing for SAP, right? The Cortex Framework. There is a, a, a big push or at least definitely some investment in these cloud providers in making it easier for people to bring the SAP data into their analytics offerings, right? Instead of just keeping it um, inside their their own SAP products. So that's that's, that's really cool. Um, and there's definitely a market for that. By the way, I've spoken to quite a bit of people over the last uh, over the last year, especially about uh, the issues with uh, SAP analytics. And there is definitely a lot of pain there and a big market for people that just want to be able to do easier analytics with their SAP data. So we'll see how this evolves because I think there's going to be way more development in this space for sure. All right. Then the other one, Microsoft's premier um, data catalog, data dictionary tool, Microsoft Purview. By the way, it was it was called Azure Purview. Now it's called Microsoft Purview because they have Mm -hmm. definitely increased the scope of what Purview can do. And we have some new announcements related to Purview as well in uh, Ignite. What what did they announce for Purview?
0: Well, I think the most uh, awaited feature is this thing called SQL dynamic lineage, which pretty much understands the input and output of your data and builds in runtime. It collects, it, it extracts and do the lineage in real time for you so it builds a lineage for you. Usually okay. this lineage needs to be usually for the other governance tools, it has to be built manually. So that's why they brought up this dynamic stuff. So you can just build, you can just list the tables that you want and automatically they're gonna have to build this for you for which SP it calls, for what data sources are, and they're gonna build the lineage for you. Um, another feature is this meta models. So Meta models brings a nice capability where you're going to be able to define organization, departments, data means business processes inside of Purview. And you have this new thing called ML classification that is in Purview. So you're going to be able to classify your machine learning models um, inside of the Microsoft Purview data governance.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of new capabilities to uh, to Purview. And obviously, they're starting with you know Microsoft products and whatnot. Um, but over time they'll be adding more and more support for more products. Right. I saw, I was actually checking the other day for a snowflake support in purview and they Mm -hmm. are starting to support snowflake as well. So you can populate the catalog with your snowflake data. Um, and, um, and I just see this growing over time, really more and more products were going to be coming over to Purview, right? Databricks support, Snowflake support, probably they're going to add support for some of the other big cloud data warehouses, right? We could eventually see uh, Purview connecting to BigQuery or Redshift or uh, Lake Formation in AWS and stuff like that, right? So that it really becomes like an enterprise um, data dictionary, data catalog, right? Actually, so for you...
0: Have you seen uh, customers onboarding on Microsoft Purview?
1: I have seen some. Yeah, work? I have. Uh, so I don't have any clients right now that are using it as their full-blown enterprise data catalog. Keep in mind Purview is, is still a pretty recent yeah. service, but I have gotten a, quite a bit of interest. So a lot of people have asked about it. A lot of people have started using it for the data that they have in the cloud, right? Yeah. Um, over time i think we'll see it just spread over and microsoft already has the agent as well if you want to use it for cataloging your data on-prem right so well i think over time we'll see it become um closer to an enterprise data catalog as opposed to right now it's just being used more of the cloud data catalog right all right and then the other one we have some things for azure Arc enabled SQL server. So this is for people that are not familiar with Azure Arc is the um, Microsoft's product, let's say to run Azure-like services, but it is done through hardware on-prem running a containers basically, right So what do we get here from Azure Arc uh, in terms of SQL
0: updates? Yeah, there's a big push on the Arc um, stuff because of this multi cloud environment. So, Microsoft is positioning, I would say, it as the first centric company to build like this tight and seamless integration between multi cloud environments. So, there's a bunch of new uh, products and, and, and stuff coming up coming into this service. And basically now the capability that enables with the Arc on SQL, it's a tight integration between uh, the experience to to the communication and single sign-on. So now you can just automatically sing sign-on on, it doesn't matter where you're at. Um, if you are on the arc enable you're going to have this seamless experience and also they're working on the improvement on security and monitoring of the entire process so basically it gives you like this 360 view of your database instances your sql server and gives you this this integration to connect with the activity um azure activity directory
1: nice yeah that's pretty cool and um you know it's uh it's an interesting solution. I have, I have to say again, I I don't have anybody that I know that it has really, is really running like large state of Azure Arc. Um, I can understand the value proposition, but I think for most clients, if they're gonna do this, they might as well just go to the cloud. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I haven't seen that much of Azure Arc adoption, but you know, it's still pretty early. We'll see how it plays out. Um. Because, yeah, we just don't really know yet what's going to happen there, right? Okay. And we have some ML announcements as well from Microsoft, from the conference. I'm just going to run through some of them that I thought were, were pretty cool. So. There's a couple of new uh, services in terms of the cognitive services for computer vision. So we have image analysis, spatial analysis uh, services. So these are doing, again, you can extract a lot of features from images to uh, improve uh, the asset management of the images. You can do a lot of spatial analysis as well in terms of you know figuring out if objects are close to each other or if an object moves into a, a, a field of vision and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of updates as well to the cognitive service for speech. This is uh, features of speech to text or text to speech services. So you can use this, for example, to do real time captioning, real time translation, mm-hmm. stuff like that. There's new languages and there's new emotions added to it. This is something that's very interesting. You can run the video. Um, or the audio through an analyzer, and it will uh, give you an analysis of the emotions that were running through um, the, cool. the video automatically. Yeah, that's really really neat, and um, and uh, it can also do uh, voice training as well to recognize, uh, uh, you know, like a voice, a signature kind of thing. Uh, it does a lot of really interesting stuff. So that's the uh, that's for the. Um, calling the service for speech. There's also a really interesting Azure service called Form Recognizer, which is basically to allow companies to kind of do like a halfway digital transformation. So Form Recognizer, you can just upload pictures of forms or, or files of forms. Let's say you have like a PDF and Form Recognizer will uh, try to analyze the form and spit out a JSON document that represents the, the, the the fields and the values of the form right so that's that's pretty interesting and they are creating AI models on top of the form recognizer so that it'll automatically be able to tag and extract information from things for example if you have a contract then the AI model will automatically parse the text and figure out who are the parties of the contract what are the conditions of the contract if there are payment, terms and all this information will get automatically extracted and then uh be you know it it gets outputted as fields of of a json that you can then use for tagging analysis etc so really really interesting stuff there um and then we have some stuff for azure ml the actual azure ml service so this one is pretty nice because we have the azure ml registries so this is very similar i don't know you and i were talking about databricks Um, Mm -hmm. a couple of episodes ago, and now we have something similar to what Databricks is doing with the embedding the ML flow right into the Databricks interface where you can register your experiments, you can register your models and all that stuff. Same thing Microsoft is doing here. So the Azure Machine Learning Registry, you will be able to register, share, discover, um, the ml artifacts the models the pipelines different environments and uh, just share them across the enterprise with other um, teams so i thought that was pretty cool as well there's some more auto ml features so we have uh uh, and natural language processing is is being added to auto ml some new image related tasks being added to um azure ml as well there's a Apache Spark Pools integration. So if you're running Synapse and you have Azure Machine Learning services, you can easily do your uh, experiments or data preparation integrated with your Spark Pools. So all that is really cool as well because it just makes sense. You know, these products are just being really tightly integrated, right? And it's kind of like what you would expect as these, uh, these offerings mature. Right, A lot of integration between the different services. Any thoughts there on the ML space?
0: Uh, I think it's growing more and more. Uh, I'm not so much into the data science, but one thing I can tell the idea of Microsoft is just pretty much create a seamless and well-integrated environment where we can run data engineering and science in in, in one single place. And I think Synapse and the AI service, because they can be tightly integrated, are growing. Yes, so you can actually, and you can
1: trigger, I don't know if you, if you played around with it, but you can, inside the Synapse workspace, you can, like, you can right click a table, for example, and say, oh, I want to. Do, do like an auto ML experiment, hmm. right? And it just takes it just... that, yeah, it takes that automatically. And like, for example, if you want to do recommendations and stuff like that, you can just right click on the table and tell it, you know, what are the columns that you want to analyze and what are the columns that represent like the user, for example. And it runs. It, it just holds your hand basically through running the experiment. So I thought it's really cool. Um, it's because it just makes, you know, it makes ML more accessible for sure. everybody, right? What, sure. That's what I like about it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and they are building a lot of really easy to use integrations there, all right? And then in terms of infrastructure, I, I'm not huge on the infrastructure side, I have to be honest. Um, I just don't care that much about it anymore because we have all these other you know data services where everything's managed and everything. But every now and then, we do have a lot of clients that still wanna run um databases as vms in the cloud and so the infrastructure side um we still have to keep up to date right so the big infrastructure that i saw that at least is related to the data space is that there's going to be a new ssd offering it's going to yes. be the ssd disk storage v2 um interesting stuff so summarizing th- did you go over this did you go over the, yes
0: Yes, and for me, for example, I play a little bit with, with Kubernetes service, or so the AKS. So now I'm going to be able to switch uh, through a storage class and choose the SST v2, which is going to gain a lot of speed in terms of access, uh, throw put, IOPS, and IOPS are pretty important for us. So pretty much they have 3, 3x times more IOPS yeah. based uh, based on the previous premiums SD. So it, it's a big it's a big leap for me. I'm super excited to see the premium SSD um, coming mainstream. It's not available for all the virtual machine sizes yet, but it's expanding every day. Uh, so yeah, super glad that that thing is just popped up. Uh, I was not expecting this. So super excited.
1: Yeah, it's really, really cool stuff, right? So the interesting things about it, like for example, the um, you can grow the disks in one gigabyte increments, which you couldn't mm-hmm. do right before. It has to be like, it had like, bigger jumps in in size. So this is very granular, which I like, right? Less waste. Um the other thing really cool is the independent provisioning of the uh IOPS and throughput capabilities regardless of the size of the disk, right? That's really neat, right? Before, if you had a premium SSD or an ultra, that was the other name that Microsoft used for the you know, the even faster SSDs. There was a premium SSD and the ultra, but the IOPS and the throughput were all tied to the disk size so if you wanted more IOPS and you wanted more throughput you had to get bigger and bigger disk sizes to get there premium ssd v2 this is the biggest difference or the big game changer for me is that you can now play with the throughput and the IOPS without having to keep pumping up the size of your disk so i thought i thought that was pretty neat for sure and The other thing, very important, is that you can scale this performance of the disk up and down without downtime. So this is a big game changer as well in terms of infrastructure, right? If you're building a mission-critical, let's say, database on top of this service, you can actually scale elastically the capability of the SSD disks that are underneath it without having to take any downtime. I thought that was great as well. Any thoughts there on the infraspace?
0: Uh, I think I saw something about Azure deployment environments now, um, and also all the features, but to sum it up, the, the one that I, that I was more excited was about the storage layer. So it was glad to see you bringing this up and i think there's a more and more about infrastructure that we didn't cover here so as you said yeah for sure
1: there's a lot there's a lot there's also there's another one that i really liked uh the somewhat related to infra is halfway between infra and devops and what it is i don't know if you looked at this it's something called azure deployment environments i don't know if you saw that so it's basically it's a development um service where Bundle, it's, right? yeah it's a managed service that will allow you to spin up app and development environments with project templates right so you will create and, and, and people can do this today actually people do this today but when people do this today they have to cobble everything up themselves right? People will build their own Terraform stuff. They will mm. build their, they will use their own integration tools like CircleCI, or they will just even run, like still run like Jenkins and stuff like that. Um, and now Microsoft is basically recognizing that people have been cobbling up their own solutions for this problem for a long time. And it's coming up with a first party managed service to do this, right? Called Azure Deployment Environments, right? So instead of having to create or put together all these different tools to enable your development environment creation, you will have this service where you can centralize the work, you can create these project templates, set up the Azure resources that you want, set up the security that you want, and um, you basically push a button, deploy a new Azure environment anytime that you need it, right? And then the developer, like, you know, let's say uh, a a lead developer could create the environment. And then every time a new developer needs to run something on the same exact environment, they just have to go into the Azure portal, they go into the deployment services blade, and they just press a button that says, hey, give me a new environment uh, called, like, you know, give it a new name like this. And boom, it just goes out and we'll be able to deploy on demand uh, or, or sandbox style environments Ah, uh, for people to do development work, for people to do uh, demos, for people to do proof of concepts or stuff like that, right? So pretty. I was really not
0: aware of that stuff. Big, stuff. big stuff. Yeah, it's to pretty pretty neat, pretty neat. Easier right? for people. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, we
1: people, like I said, people have been doing this, or or at least the companies that have proper software yes. engineering, they they do this all the time. But again, they have to kind of like cobble it up themselves, right? And then other companies that wanna do software development, but maybe they don't have such a strong DevOps or software engineering culture, they might struggle trying to do this, right? And they might even give up and they'll be like, ah, whatever, we just, this is just something yeah. that we don't, have, we don't have time to create, right? And now for places like that as well, it just makes it so much easier, right? To be able to go in and create this type of, um, of environment right and it even supports integration with source control obviously so you can integrate with uh github with gitlab with azure devops so that when you build these environments you can pull down like the latest version of your application and build it and have it ready for you know whatever it is that you're doing right if it's development or demo or training or anything like that so i thought that was a pretty cool announcement in the more of a DevOps space. But I think this is a really neat service, and it'll probably get um, quite a bit of adoption once it goes out in GA. Right now, Microsoft has enabled it for preview, right? Yep. Okay. so um, thoughts about Ignite in general. That is all I had for the main announcements I wanted to cover for today. What are your thoughts in general about this show, And, you know, the direction Microsoft has set for uh, the end of the year now, until we get the next big conference. So probably won't be until um, the spring now of next year.
0: I'm happy with a couple of things. I mean, firstly, uh, because we have like a unified system to do big data analytics in one single place. So I think Synapse Analytics, it's a big thing and it's going to remain as a big a giant leap through the big data, data engineering analytics. So you can do everything in one single place. Another thing that, uh, that I am find super excited by Microsoft is that we're focusing more on the open source products. So just creating the assessments, just moving to have more Postgres and MySQL capabilities and seeing um, the company um, aggressively working on features to make this more accessible, um, and to reduce friction um, to swing between environments, and the last thing is about integration. So I'm super happy to see these Azure services integrating tightly with these open source data spectrum services, and seeing DBT and the Microsoft Data Intelligence platform as well as going to allow us just pretty much to have a one single place to get the data from anywhere and just put the data into everywhere. So I'm super excited to see Microsoft positioning that spectrum of data. And yeah. what about you? What no, same,
1: same, that? same thing. So I, I really, well, obviously I spoke, I gushed already about yeah. Cosmos DB. I always yeah. like when they have new stuff for Cosmos DB. Um, I, I have to play around with it. I'm looking forward to playing around with the PostgreSQL support for Cosmos DB. Cause I think that's a really interesting use case for Cosmos DB. I think that also. I would like to sit down and really look at how that would look like in terms of positioning something like distributed PostgreSQL on Cosmos DB versus something like a Cockroach DB versus mm-hmm. something like a Spanner, Google Cloud Spanner. I think that would be a really interesting comparison between products. So I, I liked that announcement. I thought that was really cool. Um, I do like the spreading of the Synapse link as well. Anytime that we can solve these, like, you know, more mechanical problems, like I said, like just moving data from point A to point B, we can solve these mechanical problems and automate them. And then that allows people, again, to focus on the real problem, right? The real business problem, which is where we really can get the value out of, you know, software, cloud, et cetera, right? Unlock real value. Which is, you know, obviously somebody has to do the, development of data pipelines to move data from point a to point b today um and that person could be focused more on maybe another problem maybe in a data modeling problem maybe in a data analysis problem maybe on enabling end users something that will be more valuable than just this mechanical you know problem of moving data from point a to point b so that's why i really like the all this new uh synapse links that are being enabled because um It just allows people to you know focus on like again on what really unlocks value from companies and not just so much on this the plumbing right like i mentioned before which you know somebody has to do today but i don't think is the most productive thing for people to spend their resources and if we can automate more of it you know the better so that's my opinion um i guess that's all we have for today everybody i hope you enjoyed the show this, again, is not an exhaustive list. If you want to check out the whole list, just go to your favorite search engine, Microsoft Ignite uh, 2022 Book of News, and you will get the entire list. And there was also another conference that happened last week, which was Google Next. Yes. And our next episode of the Datascape podcast. This is a preview just so people know. And somebody doesn't say uh, we just cover Microsoft stuff next episode we're going to be covering google next okay so stay tuned thanks for listening until next time bye-bye bye-bye
0: navigating the data scape